Welcome to this edition of AutoLine Detroit, where we're going to be talking all about labor issues in the automotive industry, some big contract discussions coming up later this year, and that's why I've invited three people who I think are pretty much expert in this field, including Joe Sesney with the Oakland Press, Bob Sheravelli with Strategic Labor and Human Resources, and Sean McAlinden with the Center for Automotive Research. Great having all of you here on AutoLine Detroit. Uh, look, we know that the UAW contract expires later this year, September 16th, I think, isn't that the date it goes 15th. on? 15th or yeah. so. Uh, I thought all along that Ford Motor Company was going to be the target only because the bailout agreement with the feds between General Motors and Chrysler told the UAW, you cannot strike until 2014. So I thought all along that Ford was going to be the target. But, John, you're saying Ford's maybe not going to be the target. General Motors wants to be. Why well, is you know, that? Uh, Bob King has said there isn't going to be a target, of course, which is what um, in his predecessor. Do you think that's going yeah, What do you mean? No target? Yeah. What, well, what do you think? Well, Bob Gettelfinger drove around in circles in the middle of Detroit with five cell phones until the last couple of days and right. eventually picked a target. You so know, you think they're going to pick a target again? Um, it might come. Uh, it's hard to see how you, you can't really resolve everything at one table first and then. And, and, and if you're working on a pattern agreement and and, and then get uh, something sensible, there's just uh, that would involve 1,200 people simultaneously negotiating, and you've got to narrow it down to one smaller group to get it done. And we believe that um, Ford doesn't want to be the target; they feel they're too profitable. Uh, Chrysler and GM would love to be the target, uh, but Chrysler's too poor <laughs> to make the Ford workers happy. We believe that probably General Motors at the end. Uh, will be the company uh, sort of selected to do the final uh, markup of what the agreement will be. Right. Pattern is yeah. the key here, and I don't yeah. think, uh, as a practical matter, I don't see them striking for it at all. So I think mm -hmm. they're so they'll be settled for a pattern agreement that. Uh, explain pattern agreement for those. Pattern who agreements heard that. means that one company sets a contract, sets it down a contract, and the other two sign the basically identical agreement, and that's the way the unions worked for 60 years in the, in labor agreements in Detroit. And I don't see them, they really don't want to put Ford in a corner. I, I think King's made that very clear. And so that's why I think I, Sean's right, that General Motors is probably, maybe not the target, but the lead company going, in, going forward at this point. And General Motors has also been playing with um, trying to give the union a, a good reason to come to them. I think the announcement yesterday that they were going to invest $2 billion in the U.S., add 4,000 jobs, was all part of kind of a, run up to the negotiations because I think the union also wants to make sure that it has a, a growing employment base here in the United States. I think that's probably their number one goal in these negotiations. I think I might disagree with Sean. And, yeah, let's hear it. Uh, only in this one regard. I think Ford, given its strength financially and the rise in the stock price and the controversy around uh, Mullally's salary and compensation, they Which may is be big enor time. enormous. Enormous amount of compensation enormous. for the chairman. They may very well be, the, I think, the de facto uh, target. But I also agree that this is not the year for the UAW to strike the autos because it's still a fragile industry and there's still a backlash politically against the auto industry and unions. Look what's happened uh, just in our state governments and the public sector. The other thing is, as we look at uh, where Ford is, they are going to be paying bonuses, and they arguably have a better package than General Motors and Chrysler. And so I think almost the strategy the UAW has to have is how do you uh, moderate what the Ford workers are going to get and at the same time bring DC, uh, Chrysler and General Motors up. And I agree that uh, it's probably not going to be the... Um, 
the, it's probably going to follow the same pattern it did with Gettelfinger where they drive around. But Gettelfinger was really great at doing that. And, you know, I, I have a question. You basically have a whole new staff. They're overworked. They're tired. Um, they do have a great relationship with Ford, and hopefully that's going to push them forward. Uh, and I do agree with Bob that they don't want to disrupt the narrative. That the comeback, the union has no intention of disrupting the Detroit's comeback narrative. This is, they want to be part of that. Politically, it's good for them to be part of the comeback. And I think they want to continue that in a strike would just, or a, even a contentious contract settlement would, would derail that for them. Absolutely, this year is not a contentious year. But as you all know, uh, all of you know, it's a political organization. You don't get appointed to a position in the union, you get elected. And there's a very vocal minority that are saying, hey, look how much money these guys are making. Look how much money Mulally made. I want my share of all this. I want to get all those concessions back. And that is the wild card. That is the one wild card here. And the union has had a tougher time pushing contracts through ratification in the last couple of years than it has in the past. So. What I think the Detroit Three have to do in anticipation of union proposals is understand what the five or six or seven things that are going to be game breakers in the negotiations. Clearly they want some kind of trigger mechanism for restoring wages and benefits. They have this issue of the second tier and how they recall to it. Mm-hmm. They, even if you can't get a great package, there's other things the negotiators can carve out. Um, are they going to have some level of governance in the uh, the, the business, are they going to have some level of variable pay, whether it's gain sharing, profit sharing, stock? There's a bunch of uh, anticipated proposals that I'm sure those uh, big three teams are looking at, but that's really what we have to look at from a, a, an overall standpoint. What are the anticipated union proposals, and how are they going to carve out a decent deal that can get ratified, hopefully on first uh, vote, and absolutely by a second vote? From what we know, I mean, all three companies are going to offer the same thing, which is basically nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Nicola won't come back. There won't be any annual improvement factor. Uh, One big worry at General Motors, if it went to Ford, uh, would be some sort of, Ford can afford an increase perhaps in the pension. Uh, But even $30 a month extra uh, in the pension would cost GM over a billion dollars a year, Uh, far more than Ford. A real backbreaker. It's one of their t- holy terrors. Why they want to be the target is nail that down. But the the story t- this year is sharing the success. Fine. We'll increase the size of the profit sharing. We'll tie it to the same formula as the sa- salary. Isn't that the workers. answer right there, though, Sean? Yeah. I mean, why, why can't they agree to much more generous profit sharing? Well, the workers don't trust um, profit sharing formulas, particularly at General Motors, where they've rarely received a decent. Yeah, the decent problem check. has been that the profit sharing has never really been that transparent to the ordinary. Sure. To, it's never even been even transparent to the to the analysts, and so I think that has to be. If you're going to do profit sharing, you have to put, it has to be very, very transparent. People can go uh, sit at the kitchen table, do the math themselves, and say, oh, yeah, this is going to be my check. That hasn't been the way it's been done in the past, but that's the model that they're going to have to adopt if they wanted to use profit sharing. Well, it would be nice if they could tie it to U.S. automotive profits instead of this globby North American, but apparently they won't change that formula. So it's going to stay a little, we don't know. I mean, if you don't even know what the profit basis is, it's going to have to include some other variables like, obviously, productivity gains, quality, uh, quality performance. Attendance. Uh, right. They may have happened more than once a year as well. 
Right. Uh, you could do it sold. quarterly. You could spread the profits out, Maybe. sharing gains quarterly, which is probably sure. one of the better things to do. But I don't think that uh, the other issue, uh, Sean touched on it, is pensions. I don't think pensions are off the table completely because, no, because both uh, Chrysler and General Motors and even to some extent Ford have, don't have fully funded pension funds. And I think that's going to be one of the things that the union is going to ask about is when do we get these fully funded and, med and medical care as well. Well, the other thing, too, is the union VIVAs are all on their own now. And the companies claim they're not tracking them. But if health costs continue to rise, at very high rates, they'll start to have to increase copays mm -hmm. to this huge number of um, retirees and retirees to be eventually. And the only way they can really sort of pay them back or help them out is through the pension legally. Right. But here's right. my conspiracy sure. theory. Uh, the union is getting some $60 billion from GM, Ford, and Chrysler to pay for health care, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So here's President Obama saying, hey, we're going to have national health care. If I'm the head of the UAW, I tell all my members, hey, why don't you guys go on national health care? We'll kick in a few bucks here from the UAW to get your benefits up even higher. And now we've got, make up a number, a $40 billion war chest to go out and start organizing. Well, the original the liability was $100 billion, not, right. not $60 but, billion. But they got 60 <laughs> See, I that mean, means you're 40% short. Uh, yeah. Uh, right? But if the government's going to pay for health care... The government not short at all. Control costs. We'll see how successful yeah. they are. I know that. I know that. And the right. company, they're going to go and put provisions in that shift the cost uh, cost on this to the government. And when they do that, the union is going to be wondering, okay, are we going to be forced out of company type benefits that we can tailor and go into um, some kind of health reform bill? You know, one of the things I'm sort of concerned about: the cost of the contracts going to go up. It's not going to go up the way it has in uh, past negotiations. And my concern is for the industry, as the autos increase their um, cost of sales through labor, I think there's going to be a push on the suppliers than, you know, the price grease that we've been seeing since probably 1980. And what's going to happen is the UAW and all these other unions are going to be hit with concessionary contracts in the supply industry. Mm -hmm. So we take care of the 60,000 Ford workers and however many of they are from General Motors and Chrysler, and then that number times four or five or six are going to have labor costs that are going to be ratcheted down simply because the autos are going to push that in a price squeeze down to the suppliers. The one change that's happened in probably the last 10 years is that the union understands now some of the consequences of pushing too hard. Bob is right. I mean, what happened in the 80s was is that basically the supply base de-unionized. They went from like, what, 75% union to, to like 15% union. And that was the way they dealt with the concessions, I mean, with the price increases. And so I don't think the union wants a repeat of that. So they have all these other variables that they have to... Well, we have the supplier sector below, well below 10% and the overall industry at about 20. Uh -huh. um, but the uh, trick here is the second tier wage. Mm -hmm. Okay. $14.50 an hour, right? That's correct and roughly less than that per hour in, in, in benefits, um, all of the hiring under this contract by GM, Ford, and Chrysler will be second-tier workers. Okay. The union's big problem, besides making getting these things ratified, is that they're spending more than they're collecting in dues. They need that count back up. Mm -hmm. they, they want some sort of insourcing. They want some sort of path for second-tier to eventually make it to first-tier so Even that they stay happy it. and think their dues are worth it. Even if um, it takes them 10 years? That's correct, even if it takes them 10 years. Uh, but we're, we forecast ourselves an increase of 35,000 hourlies at the companies by UAW members. That's correct. 35,000. UAW members. That's right. correct. Is that enough? Is the UAW, what would that get them up to? Close to 400,000? Well, they have about 112,000 um, at, uh, at the big three right now. It would get them up closer, obviously, to 50,000. 
150,000, nowhere near what General Motors was at even 10 years ago. Is, is the union viable at its current level of membership? Absolutely. It's yeah. just, they're just going to service differently. What they're trying to do, they're trying to be a union that services and organizes. And that's really <laughs> difficult to do. There's some great unions, there's some unions that do great organizing. And I, what I've seen in my experience, they don't service too well. And then there's that set of unions that have been around forever that are great servicing unions because they're in these monolithic industries and they haven't really had to um, test their organizing chops. What Bob King and their staff is trying to do is both, and it's tough. Uh, I can't see anything happen but uh, that having to deal, just like industry, with providing membership benefits and uh, you know, really have a focused taste for organizing that is much smaller. They're going to have fewer resources to do fewer things. Well, we need them to do other things than just the service. Yeah. I mean, if they didn't try to organize the transplants, the transplants would be a lot cheaper than labor costs than right. they are today. Second, 80% temporary if, workers. They didn't use the deuce money for politics uh -huh. like they have for 60 years. No bailouts. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely true. We wouldn't be talking about GM and Chrysler today. And uh, guess what? We can't leave that behind. Okay, so. But Bob King, the president of the UAW, has said that he said in January, we're going to organize one of the transplants this year, and we are going to announce who the target is by the end of the month. Well, that was in January, and here we are many months beyond that, and nothing's happened. Why? Why haven't we heard? Uh, he keeps, uh, well, Bob has said that he's talking to a lot of different people behind the scenes, and he just doesn't want to, I guess, uh, upset any of the negotiations that he's already got going on behind that, which is also kind of an interesting story to see where, see where that leads. But I, um, the last time we talked to him about a month ago, he was saying he's still got s several irons in the fire and he's trying to see what well, see Mr. What Ashton said that, uh, one, this is not the year to beat on the Japanese. The American public in particular would see this as kicking people when they're down. It wouldn't be popular with the workers you're trying to organize, so the Japanese are off the table. Right, so now that leaves Hyundai, right? But and there's the a lot of yeah, and the, and the Germans, Germans, right? As you well know, on their supervisory board, by law, have to have half the members as members of unions. True, true. Um, they're not as dangerous as Hyundai is right now. Is the, is the low labor cost leader and who's gobbling up market share every single hour, as you well know. I mean, up until their capacity limit. But frankly, there is a lot of work uh, and distraction now at the state employment level. The UAW is also a government union. Um, they have to put a lot of uh, attention and effort uh, into Wisconsin, into Michigan, Indiana, and Ohio to defend their public employees. That's probably going to replace this organizing effort completely this year. Well, you know what it does? I think it gives a new uh, spin to organizing. Mm -hmm. The unions have had a, tradition, a traditional approach to organizing that hasn't worked very well. You know, we've seen steady declines in private sector. But with this um, political um, controversy at sure. the state level, all of a sudden we're seeing people that have not talked about labor unions in a long time, that have been seeking collective action and have been getting riled on, at their own grassroots level. Right. If the unions are smart, they're going to take a page out of that strategy book and say, what is it about this movement that gets hundreds of thousands of people to the Capitol for a labor relations environment where it's illegal to strike? Mm -hmm. I mean, you don't even have the economic weapons that you do in the private sector. The other thing is I sort of I disagree a bit with uh, Sean. I think if you went after Volkswagen, for example, I think if you did organize them or did bring them in under the UAW umbrella, I think it would be a great symbolic victory. Maybe not a great economic victory, but it would be a great symbolic victory for the UAW. Well, they've got to get one, right? I right, mean, exactly. you know, I, in, 
Joe, you and I both probably remember Doug Fraser when the, the first Japanese transplant hit America in mm -hmm. Honda in Marysville, and he said, just give us time, we'll have it organized. That's 30 years ago. Exactly. They have had ago. zero, zero success in this. Why would any transplant open up its doors and tell the union, come on in? They won't. And the membership or the potential membership is going to have to see one thing, that they can earn more money under UAW governance than they can the way they are. And right now... They, the UA doesn't, UAW doesn't have a great story with the big three. Not with second-tier hiring through the next no. three to four years. It's and, a terrible story. And, and 401ks instead of pensions. I mean, and, and you know. and. Uh, but I will ask you this. I mean, um, who still has a jobs bank? And it is now the largest jobs bank of uh, workers not producing anything in the world. Toyota. Correct. And it's a jobs bank that dwarfs anything <laughs> GM has ever seen. Well, that's because the question Toyota is, how long can Toyota keep this up? Well, I don't know. The first quarter doesn't look yeah, but let, let, let's, very long. Let's make sure we get our, our terminology correct here, because Toyota has oh, always okay. had a no layoff clause for full-time employees. Which means they're fully paid for not producing anything. Right. What else the definition of a jobs bank do you want? I agree. Well, because Toyota... I agree with Sean here. Yeah. Got, the, the, the jobs is bank is a jobs bank is a jobs bank. But it's a unilateral voluntary Look, one. that right. I can tell you this, that uh, the, <laughs> the union's going to slam that down on the table and say, Ford, don't tell us we're more expensive right. than Toyota than Honda because not this year. Well, I don't think any of us on this table think Toyota is going to be the target of any organizing by the <laughs> no, UAW. No. It's, first off, the South is difficult. I don't know if I heard you say it or somebody said the smile state, uh, the smile states, yeah. when you look at the uh, transplants sure. coming down the southeastern seaboard across <clears throat> the country and then back up California, those are the targets. Anything down there is considered difficult. And when you think about organizing, it falls into three buckets. Traditional NLRB organizing with a secret ballot. Neutrality, where they have a, a broad uh, agreement, or where they go one-on-one -on -one and seek voluntary recognition. All of those are tough to do. And in each one of those, with the exception of the secret ballot, it's going to require some level of an agreement with the union. And if you're a supplier, you're going to carve out any supply that you send to uh, Toyota or Nissan or Honda because you don't want to lose that transplant business in your supply base. So th I think this is really, really tough. Well, I think they know the supplier plants of the transplants and, uh, and who to, the bottleneck plants and the ones that are also partially UAW, and they have been listed on targets. You know, It's not just about the South, though. We have transplants all over Indiana and Ohio and Ontario that... Um, Without all the rules you're talking about, that are uh, some here. they're all they're all non-union at this time. You don't yeah, have to go the, south for an organizing. It's the UAW is vice president for organizing. Cindy Estrada, sure. I've met her. She's very impressive. Um, she had a little example she gave to a, a group she was talking to, and it points out how they're going to target um, limited resources uh, at an organizer at an organizing effort. She said, if I go into a, a workplace and they have the kind of wages where you still have to get food stamps to make ends meet, she said, they need a union. So if you applied it to the OEMs, it's really the Koreans, right? They're, playing, they're paying lower wages. True. Okay, so on a relative stance. Lower wages, but that doesn't necessarily mean those people have a lower buying power because they're down south where costs are lower. Well, if you're, if you're building uh, uh, automobiles in California and you already have a lower wage, absolutely, that... But nobody builds cars in California right now except anymore. for Tesla. <laughs> Everything else has been shut down. It's a high-cost state. Well, the All point right. is they are going to take limited resources and be very targeted. This well, the, is important for dues, on, yeah. The real break on, on uh, wages at, at the transplants now is the use of temporary 
and the temporary employee, I would say probably 50% of the employees at a Hyundai plant are temps. And the, through, they, temps technically hired through a temporary agency. They might be considered, they, they wear uniforms, they look the same as any other Hyundai Well, employees. Nissan uses a lot of supplier workers all day long inside of the plant. Um, Honda and Toyota, on the other hand, we, we can't get them past 8 9% temporaries, and those were all fired last year, you know, in 09. So I'm not even sure they brought them back yet. Well, if you think about the temps for a second, if sure. they are 10 to 20% of any workforce, mm -hmm. that is a major uh, election block to mobilize. Sure. And under the Obama Labor Board, what we are going to be seeing is a developing labor law, not through changes in the statute, but changes in the developing labor law that the board puts together mm -hmm. that is going to look at how do you give them, that is temporary workers, non-core employees, certain protections under the act, mm -hmm. being involved in uh, organizing, having a vote. If there are just two or three changes to the labor board, all of a sudden we see a, a dramatic change in the organizing um, landscape. Hmm. Yeah, it shifts administration to administration. So, I mean, if the Republicans win in 2012, probably the union effort goes out the window, I would say. But what do you all make of this, as you brought up earlier, Bob, of uh, the public service uh, or public sector unions up in arms like we've never seen before? We, we've seen a rejuvenated labor movement. Is, is this a flash in the pan, or do you guys expect something long-term coming out of this? I think it's hard to predict exactly where it's going to go. But what I tell companies, I say where there's an issue of employee voice, and that's in unionized and non-union, non anytime they don't let that flourish, it gets... Um, pushed out someplace else, like a balloon. You push on this end, the other parts expands. The stuff that's happening in the state governments is an excellent example of certain rights being constricted, either because of the, the perception or the actual uh, restriction, and people reacting to it. So what I see happening is uh, potential for a young group of workers saying, you know, I have some say here, and I want to do something about it, and we're having some impact at state level government. And some of the uh, political impact that you're seeing, like if you look at the argument over gas prices, for the first time in a long time, the oil companies are getting a lot of heat over this, and, and their Republican backers in Congress are too. And you're also seeing some complaints about, you know, uh, CEO salaries, those are all going up. So I think issues like this are sort of pushing the, uh, it towards a more pro-union environment, but I don't think see that developing or inf impacting the talks this year in, in any way. What did y'all make of uh, Ford uh, letting it out on this website that they've created showing essentially where their negotiating tactics are going that they, Ford Motor Company, are paying $8 an hour more than the average for the transplants in the U.S. What do you guys make of that going, well, I think getting thrown out in the media right well, now? Well, I think they're trying to make a public case that they already pay their workers enough and they don't want, you know, to kind of blunt the union's demands for a, a wage increase or more profit share. Well, actually, uh, I, I could respond if I was the UAW that if they would hire 20 percent uh, more people at the second tier, their average uh, wage cost would be, uh, with benefits, would be $48, and they know it. Below, so, yeah. so it would be below the transplants. That's below the transplants. So get, and they also, I mean, the union's making a point that there's a lot more work being done inside of the transplants uh, that was sent to the suppliers from our plants uh, up here long ago. You Which know, also they, should be counted in the total wage. Uh, that's correct. I mean, essentially, these are manipulated numbers to a certain extent. Um, eventually, Hyundai's uh, workers will grow into their top wage, and they won't quite be that cheap. And if the union tries to organize them, they'll have to jack it, 
the, their bonus amounts up and their wages, just like Toyota and Honda did. So, um, you know, nice argument. And they, they were also scored that two of the $8 gap uh, was the bonus they paid in March. Profit sharing. And the right. union would say, what is the cost of Mr. Mullally uh, per vehicle this year after all? In then, North America? And, and, as, <laughs> and as Sean's Absolutely, pointed out, yeah. that doesn't include the cost of, uh, the real cost of Toyota's uh, jobs bank. Absolutely. I mean, they could argue that uh, we're one of the cheapest auto companies uh, in North America this year, going through right through the end uh, of December. And uh, we're not sure how much that's going to change soon. This is the time not to be contentious with your labor force. This is the time to ramp it up um, and go for broke. You know what I find interesting? When was the last time you saw traditional negotiators put anything on a website? I mean, the whole landscape right. of how you communicate with people, it's, it, it's not only transparent, it's complete and total disclosure. <laughs> so the work of a negotiator, the work of a, a labor union, they are going in areas that guys like us weren't raised with. Right. right. Why is that, Bob? Why do you think they're going public with this website, with their negotiating uh, demands on, uh, on the web? Well, first off, with the, with the big three, there's more disclosure than any place else. In the supply base, and I suspect other manufacturing, there's still this uh, sense that if you're going to negotiate a labor agreement, you're not going to open up all your information. But I think they have a labor relations that is completely different. They have staffs that give, uh, work on this full time, and they've, I think they've had a pretty damn good, healthy labor management relationship. So they, there's nothing to lose. Let's just put it all out there. And one better is it to buy hamburger? When it's uh, you know cheap, you buy a lot of it. Well, we have an economy where it's really a great time for companies to negotiate. Why don't you just put out all the bad stuff? But not, but sometimes putting out all the information doesn't work because in, if you look at the uh, contract negotiations in the N NBA and the NFL, all that all their financial information is disclosed, and they still can't close an agreement. So I mean, the, it it work cuts both ways. Uh, so. But the given is that it's going to be there. Yeah. And I, when you I, I would have to say there's a lot of analysts and financial analysts and investors who believe our relations have been too good and too cozy over time, uh, and that, that it was I a major factor in the bankruptcies. Uh, that Caterpillar broke their union, and Caterpillar is now the most successful manufacturer in the United States, and they just negotiated one hell of a uh, competitive agreement. Well, this that, is that a great I'm sorry, we're yeah. running out of time here. I hate to cut this sure. off. This has been a great discussion. But Joe Sesney, Oakland Press, Bob Sheravelli, Strategic Labor and Human Resources, Sean McElinden from the Center for Automotive Research, thank you all for coming on AutoLine Detroit, and I thank all of you for having tuned in.